Yesterday, people around the world watched as Charles III of England was crowned king. And to me, this was not only history being made, it was impressive. The world witnessed a ceremony in Westminster Abbey that was filled with tradition and something unique in our modern culture. It was filled with Scripture. As part of the coronation, Scripture was read and quoted over and over again throughout every part The reference was made to Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and His eternal kingdom. King Charles was presented with a special copy of the King James Version of the Bible, upon which he placed his hand as he recited his oath. Before the coronation, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, said, The Bible, presented to His Majesty the King, is a reminder... That scripture is not just at the heart of the responsibilities he undertakes at the coronation, but at the heart of Christian life. And then King Charles placed, King Charles III placed his hand on the Bible and took his oath of office. The new king of England was anointed with oil made from the olive groves on the Mount of Olives and crowned in the church by the highest church official, the archbishop. Now the reason it happened this way was because is because the king of England is also the head of the church of England. And while, again, while Charles may or may not be a Christian, a real believer, I don't know, it was good for people around the world and the people of the United Kingdom to be reminded of the importance of God's Word in their history. Something people in England had perhaps forgotten. I know many people in America have forgotten that God's Word was of supreme importance in the founding of our nation. When when our leaders are sworn in in America, the best we hear them say is, so help me God. Well, in my observation, most people today are not the least bit interested in connecting with God or His Word, and certainly are not concerned about Jesus returning to earth with His kingdom. They just don't care, but one day they will care. One day Jesus will return and He will strike this world with vengeance. And at that day, the only thing that will protect from God's fiery judgment is King Jesus living and reigning on the throne of our hearts. He and He alone is the refuge we need from the storm of judgment that is coming when His kingdom is revealed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 as I continue our message that I've entitled, Pray, so grow. That's our outreach emphasis for the year, sowing the kingdom seeds for the glory of God. Pray, so grow. Kingdom revelation. If you're willing and able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's precious and holy word? Now, I just want to read the first verses of 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment, and then I'll deal with some other verses in the message. Verse 1. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then that's Peter, Simon Peter, then by the twelve, after that He was seen by over five hundred Brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, 
and then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also, Paul said, as one born out of due time. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy. Thank you for what we've experienced today in worship. Through song, God, we give you praise. We might as well get used to it here because in heaven we'll be singing and praising you forever. Thank you for the wonderful worship. To be able to worship you in your presence. Thank you, Lord. We, we saw King Charles crowned, but God, you are king. You are the king of kings. Lord Jesus, when you return, you will be crowned with many crowns. You will take over. When your kingdom is revealed, it will be the end of wickedness, evil in this world, and righteousness will reign over everything, your righteousness. At that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Today, I confess you're my Lord. And I pray, Father, that you'll take this word and you'll touch hearts with it. That people here and those who watch would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them so that they might bow the knee and the heart to you, Lord, and allow your kingdom to be revealed in them. We want you, Lord, on the thrones the throne of our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul stated very clearly the definition of the gospel. He said it's the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel, God's good news, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And if we have faith that this is true and we surrender to His rule in, in our lives, we have His everlasting life. The gospel is more than the cross. It is more than Jesus dying for the sins of the world. It is that Christ rose from the dead to prove His power over death. The gospel is about Easter every day. Resurrection day. Every day. Jesus didn't just rise one day. Jesus is alive every day. Amen? So, if we believe that Jesus has power over death, then we can believe that He's not through, He's not finished. That He will come back to this earth, bring His kingdom to earth, and He will straighten out the wicked mess we are in today. And folks, let me tell you, it's not getting any better as far as I can see. At least not with the corrupt media, culture, and leadership, which I see directing us far away from God. I do not know what is going to become of our great nation if we do not turn back from gay pride to godly purity in America. I don't know. When Christ's kingdom is revealed, people will pay for leading these little children astray and brainwashing them with this ungodly cultural mindset. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, would you read it with me and let it sink in? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. God said it, I didn't say it. If we don't stop promoting this gender dysphoria in America, it's going to be our undoing. 
America needs a resurrection of morality. And that's not going to happen until those who have been resurrected to life by the power of the Holy Spirit rise up and speak out against such evil. You know, we can speak out against evil without doing evil things. To go hurt somebody with violence, that's not a good thing. That's an evil thing. Two wrongs don't make a right. We can speak out with our voices. And we can speak out with our votes. And we need to get back to, to God. And Christians are the only one, I believe, the only ones who are going to be able to turn our nation around. We need a resurrection of Christian voices in America. Amen? Now there's coming a day when this world as we know it is going to disappear. As we saw last week, one day there's going to be a war that will cause the earth to shake and bring so much famine and sickness that half of the population of earth will die. Jesus called this the time of great tribulation. But before that period of great tribulation, Jesus will return for a rescue mission. And He will take His church, His bride, out of this world in what we call the rapture, rapture from the Latin word raptura, which means catching up or caught up. But before, so Christians have nothing to fear. We only have to love Jesus and keep our eyes on Jesus. Because as Jesus said, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads Because your redemption draws near. He's talking to His people. No matter how bad things are or how bad they become, we are secure in the promises of Jesus. But wouldn't it be wonderful? Listen, I'm not worried. When before this world is destroyed, Jesus is coming back for me. He's coming back for you if He's your Savior. if If you've received Him as your Savior. But wouldn't it be wonderful, folks, if before the rapture, if before Jesus returned, when the trumpet sounds and, and, the, and He calls His church, wouldn't it be wonderful if America had turned back to God when Jesus comes? Wouldn't it be wonderful if enough Christians in America took a stand and returned to a sense of decency and morality, where children were taught good values and not evil practices. Wouldn't it be, a, be wonderful if when Jesus returned, turns, He would find us, His people, working for His glory, sowing seeds of the kingdom, of His kingdom, so that righteousness could grow in our nation again. That's what I look forward to. That's why I work. That's why I do what I do. Because I still believe there's hope for us. But that hope's not found, folks, in corrupt politicians. It's not found in educational facilities that display gay pride flags. It's found in the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead to become the first fruits of those who believe. It's found in Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. He began with Christ's resurrection. Then he talked about how his resurrection was the first resurrection for all who believe. Now, if you've trusted in Christ's death as payment for your sins, then you can trust in his resurrection that, will, that assures you of your eternity in his kingdom. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 
14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Even so Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who sleep in Jesus, with him. He will bring them with him, but with Christ at his coming. You see, to, who's he bringing? Those who sleep in Jesus. To sleep in Jesus is the sleeping of the body, not the spirit. There are many stories of people in our day who have died momentarily, and their spirits have hovered over their bodies. What about Jesus? What happened when his body died? What happened to his spirit? Did it die? No. His spirit was very much alive. Jesus told the story of a rich man who, who had everything he wanted in this life, but he left God out, so when he died... He lifted up his eyes in a place of punishment, of torment. That was his spirit. His body died. His spirit was alive in punishment, in torment. And yet a beggar named Lazarus, who didn't have anything in this life, but he had faith in God, when he died, he lifted up. He, his spirit was alive in a, in Abra, with Abraham, in Abraham's bosom, in paradise, in a place of peace. When Paul referred to those who sleep in Jesus... He was talking about these bodies that die. He called it sleep. Because one day, our bodies will awaken, will rise from the dead. But we must remember that man is more than body. Man is spirit also, just like Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the first fruits of those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, just as Christ's spirit was alive when his body was in the tomb, and then his body rose... So when we die in this life, our spirits live and our bodies sleep waiting for the day they will be resurrected. This is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 24. Look there with me in the scriptures. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. That's why the rapture is so important. When we come back with Jesus to this earth, so when you die, your spirit goes to heaven or hell, whichever you have chosen. If, you fought, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and you have called upon Him and you believe in His death and His resurrection, that is, that, and, you've invited him, and you've asked Him to be your Savior, you've repented of your sins, you've received Him as your Savior. When your body dies, your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we come back now, when He's coming back to this earth, we're coming with Him, our spirits. And when He comes back to set up His kingdom on the earth and rule and reign on the earth, we're going to need a body if we're coming back with Jesus. A body in which to walk on the earth again. It cannot be an ordinary body susceptible to the frailty of life. It will be a glorified body, like the body Jesus had when he rose from the dead. This is our kingdom principle today. I want you to think about this for a minute. Let's read it together, kingdom principle. If the coming kingdom of Christ is about restoring a fallen creation, 
then the first thing which will be revealed is the restoration of our bodies to glorified life. Now let that sink in for just a moment. That's the rapture of the church. The hope of a glorious eternal future for all who have repented of the sinfulness of this life and have pledged their life and loyalty to the coming King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Paul said in Titus to his friend Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is life now, life lived by the grace of God through faith in the Son of God. This is life now, lived to please Jesus. Life now that abandons the ungodliness and worldly lust that separates man from the perfect path and peace of God. Paul said to receive Christ is to abandon these things. Paul said the grace of God teaches us how to live now and teaches us how to die now. We live for Christ and we die with hope in His resurrection power. This is the blessed hope. The hope of the blessed. That this life here is not the end. But we are only transitioning into a glorious new life with a new body, a new mind, a new position in the presence of God. Again, Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, this body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Paul's talking about even though now our bodies are here, yet He has a place for us prepared in heaven, and we're already citizens there. We are assured a place in heaven just as sure as we were already there. And when this body dies, that's exactly where our spirit's going, to, what, to the place that Jesus has prepared for us. We don't need a body in heaven. All we need is our spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us the particulars of this powerful catching up, this rapture of the church. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read it and let it sink in. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will do what? Okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together, rapture, called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now here Paul tells us that the rapture, At the rapture, the dead in Christ, those sleeping in Christ, sleeping bodies will rise first. And we who are alive when He comes will be transformed and caught up into the air with Jesus. How can dead bodies, now think about this, how can dead bodies buried for centuries rise from the ground intact? I mean, the cemetery is full of them, you understand? That's what, you know, where all those markers are. And there's a whole lot of places there's no markers because people were buried on battlefields and things like that. There's dead bodies all over the earth, aren't there? How can those dead bodies, buried for centuries, thousands, buried for thousands of years, rise from the ground intact? This is what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Notice with me, verse 35 and 36. Paul said, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Then verse 42. So is also the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in, corrup- in, in incorruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised, are you with me? It is raised a, what kind of body? Spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Now, body and spirit are two contrasting things. You got body, and you got spirit. How can you have a body that is spiritual? How can you have a spiritual body? I mean, folks, that's the mystery of this powerful event, patterned after the death and resurrection of Jesus. How could Jesus' body, so badly beaten and mangled, bleeding profusely, arise a spiritual body that would have no pain, could not be harmed, could walk through walls, would have no physical inhibitions? How can a natural body be a spiritual body? Paul said in verses 51 through 53, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Do you know that there's people around the world today that are spending a whole lot of money to be immortal? They are. Spending a whole lot of money. Uh, some of them are, are experimenting with that cryogenesis. Cryosleep, you know, be frozen now so you can wake up centuries later. They're just trying to live forever. Folks, one day, Jesus is going to take care of that. <laughs> one day. We, in this old body, we are going to rise again, and this body is going to be an immortal body. That's what's going to happen. That's what Paul is telling us here. at The rapture, when Jesus, our bridegroom, descends for his bride with a shout and the trumpet sound, the bodies of those who have died in faith and have been buried will come back together. All the molecules will come together. All the atoms will come together. They will come back and form spiritual bodies. And folks, on that day, man... That's going to be someday when all the graves burst open and they rise. They won't just be spirits. You won't see ghosts rising out of there. They will be spiritual bodies. And therefore, the ground must burst open so that these, and the caskets must fly apart so that these bodies can rise to meet the Lord in the air. Those who are alive when Jesus comes for His church will be instantly transformed from physical bodies into spiritual bodies and will rise with all the saints for all ages to join our King in His home that He 
has prepared for us. Now, why is this moment so important for the kingdom? Because when the rapture of the church, the rescue of the bride takes place, that's when the seven-year period of great tribulation begins. That's when the countdown begins for the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus to this earth as he returns to conquer, rule, and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, folks, if Jesus is first to rise... For, for all his people. He's the first of us to rise. And by the way, remember when he went into heaven, ascended into heaven? Do you remember the, you know, the great commission he gave us, go into all the world and preach the gospel, gave his disciples, and a whole lot of people saw him go into heaven? That's the point. He had his glorified body, and his body rose, and they saw him rise. His body, his glorified body, rose into the sky and up in the clouds. You know, when I was a little boy, I used to love to watch Superman. And I used to think, man, wouldn't it be nice to fly? Well, I can't fly right now. But one day I will, and you will. Won't that be something? Now, sometimes, right now, there's people that are afraid to get on a plane and fly. That's because that plane could come down. But when Jesus calls you, friends, you won't be coming down. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> You're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. Wow. Folks, that gives me hope. That gives me just peace to know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be with Jesus. Those who are alive when Jesus comes, if we're alive, if He were to come today, we'll be transformed from physical bodies in spirit, into spiritual bodies, and we will rise with all the saints of all the ages to join our King in His home that He's prepared for us. How many people do you think that will be? That's a whole lot of bodies rising into the air. Why is this moment so important for the kingdom? Because when the rapture of the church, the rescue of the bride takes place, that's when the seven-year period of great tribulation begins. That's when the countdown begins for the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus to this earth as He returns to conquer, rule, and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, if Jesus is the first to rise of all His people and His return for His bride, the church, is going to happen, then the most important thing we could do in this life is get ready for it. Amen? Get ready for it. If you have received Jesus now in this life, you will not have to face the catastrophe that is the Great Tribulation. That, will that catastrophe that will happen when nuclear war destroys half of this planet. If you have received the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, you will not have to face the fiery judgment of God that's coming on this world. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Friends, I don't know when our Lord's going to return, but I know this, he will return. And when he comes as the bridegroom to rapture his church, when he rescues us, I'm going to be part of that rescue. When, when, whether I'm alive or dead, he has the power to raise me up into His powerful arms where we will all be joined together as one great family of God. I'm looking forward to the day 
when the circle will be unbroken. I'm looking forward to the day when all of us who know Jesus can be together never to have to say goodbye again. Aren't you looking forward to that? Paul wrote, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the, the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So today the Lord Jesus is calling, offering forgiveness and salvation to all who would hear and believe and commit their lives to serving Him as Lord and King. We cannot pledge our allegiance to this wicked world and be part of the evil that's rising and corrupting everything around us. We must make a choice. We must choose kingdoms and kings that want us to follow Jesus. We have to. We have to follow Jesus. We have to pledge our allegiance to Jesus before anything else. And we need to do it now, today. We must either choose the kingdom controlled by evil men, empowered by Satan himself, or else we must reject this worldly kingdom and system and surrender our lives to Jesus and serve Him as our Lord and King. We can live in this world, folks, but we don't have to live like the world. Amen? Now, there's no in-between, no halfway with Jesus. We're either all in for Him or we're all out. We can't have it both ways. We're either going to give Jesus the throne of our lives and become part of His kingdom, or else we're going to reject Him and remain tied to this earthly kingdom of sin and shame. You're either going to face the love of Jesus in the rapture, or you're going to face His wrath in the great tribulation. If we believe His promise to return, then it's either going to give us comfort or alarm. Are you ready? I was reading a little story. I thought it fit pretty well here. The 1989 Armenian earthquake needed only four minutes to flatten the nation and kill 30,000 people. Moments after the deadly tremor ceased, the father raced to an elementary school to save his son. When he arrived, he saw that the building had been leveled. He looked at the massive stones and rubble. He remembered a promise he had made to his child. No matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. Driven by his own promise, he found the area closest to his son's room and he began to pull back the rocks. Other parents arrived, began sobbing for their children. It's too late, they told the man. You know they're dead. You can't help. Even a police officer encouraged the man to give up, but the father refused for eight hours, then 16 hours, then 32 hours, 36 hours. The man kept digging. His hands were raw. His energy was gone, but he refused to quit. Finally, after 38 wrenching hours, he pulled back a boulder and he heard his son's voice. He called his boy's name, Armand, Armand, and a voice answered him, Dad, it's me. And then the boy added these priceless words. I told the other kids not to worry. I told them if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, they'd be saved too. Because you promised, Dad, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. That little boy hung on to that promise. Someday, according to Christ Jesus, He will set us free. He will come back. And to prove that he was serious about his promise, the stone, he left the stone rolled away and his tomb is empty. Because he knows 
that this world will one day again shake in the blink of an eye as fast as lightning flashes from the east to the west. He's going to come back and everyone will see him. Bodies will push back the dirt and break the surface of the sea. The earth will tremble, the sky will roar, and those who do not know him will shudder. But those who have received Jesus as king find comfort in his promise. Because we know if he lives, he will come back to rescue us, that where he is, we will be also. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Let's bow. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready for His kingdom to be revealed? What are you doing with what Jesus has given you in this life? What are you doing with it? Are you ready? That's a yes or no question. If you can answer yes, that means you have pledged your allegiance to the King of Kings. You have believed that Jesus died for your sins and you have received Him into your life. He's your eternal Savior and Lord. His promise is your comfort. And your part in His kingdom today is to help as many people get ready for His return as you can. Every day, everywhere, your part, my part, is to sow those kingdom seeds so that one day when you rise, there will be people all around you rising because God used you to help them find Him. Just imagine what it might be like when the rapture takes place and someone gets left behind, but then they remember, hey, somebody gave me that Calvary card. I remember that guy that came through my window every day and he got a cup of coffee and he said, I hope you have a blessed day. Jesus loves you. Folks, leave something behind of Jesus when you rise. What if you answered no? You said, I'm not ready then today's the day of salvation for you. He can dig you out of that horrible place you're in and give you life. Life now and life in your eternal future. But you have to pledge your love and life to Him. You must commit to following Jesus in this life all the way to His kingdom. Would you like to do that? Pray with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for leaving you out of my life. I've been running things my way. But I today ask your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Take over my heart and mind. Take over my body. I want you to do with me whatever you want to do. I want you to get me ready for your coming and help me get others ready. Jesus, I commit to you today as my Savior and my King, and I will follow you the rest of my life all the way into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then your life will change now. You'll have a desire to do what's right. And you might slip up and sin sometimes, but you're not going to have that same desire. Now you want to follow Jesus and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, Lord. Thank you that you're coming again. That is the greatest hope, the greatest joy, the greatest peace we could have. 
But no matter what, we will always be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Steve, let's sing. I'll be at the front. If you'd like for me to help you and pray for you in any way, I'll be right down here. Stand with us as we sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.